0: For preparing our hearts for what God has for us from his word. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us, Lord, your Holy Spirit. And Father, through him, we can have that compassion. We can have that love for others, Lord. And that burden to reach the lost as we love them and now father we ask your blessing upon our time in the word lord open our eyes once again that we might see we pray this in jesus name amen amen if you'll take your bibles with me this morning turn to the uh, book of first john first john we're continuing our series in this tremendous letter written by the apostle john and we're beginning in chapter two We've arrived at chapter 2 here, and this morning we're just looking at two verses. The first two verses of 1 John chapter 2. Okay? Now, last week we, we saw at the end uh, in, in our study that John was speaking about sin and how if we confess our sin in verse 9 of chapter 1... If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what a wonderful truth that is, that we know that if we come, we will be cleansed through the blood of Christ. But here the apostle John goes even further in verses 1 and 2. So let's look at verse 1 together. John writes, my little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. Now, we'll we'll, we'll stop there for a second. You know, uh, when we read about, you know, God's forgiveness and God's grace, and if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. There's this tendency to think that, well, then since we're under grace, we can pretty much live the way we want as believers. That we, can, I, I can live my life any way I want because I know God's going to forgive me. And we think that we have uh, um, a license to sin. But the Apostle Paul speaks of that: uh, how how uh, we ought not to to take grace. Uh, for granted that way. And here John makes it clear when he's talking about though your sins are, when you confess your sins are forgiven, he says here, I've written these things here for one purpose. And what is that? That you won't sin. That you will not sin. That you will uh, seek to live a holy life before God. So that's extremely important to understand as we go through the next part of the verse and verse 2. Okay, so we do not want to sin. We want to live an obedient life to the Lord, obedience to his word. But look at the rest now of verse 1. Then he says, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he starts off by saying first of all I want you to none of you to uh, to sin before God you, you seek to live a life and there's no life of perfection we can't live a life completely without sin until we get to heaven but now he what he's going to say is that the believer because he is a child of God and we have been forgiven and we have come to Christ, come to God through Christ. He then says, but if anybody does sin, any of you do sin? I want you to remember something. We have an advocate with the father. He says, Christ, Jesus, the righteous we have an advocate. Now, what is an advocate? Now, many of you know what that is, but some of you, you know, uh, younger ones may not really understand what that means. Basically, an advocate is a person who comes to the aid of someone else and pleads their case to a judge. What's another word we use then for advocate? Lawyer. So basically, an advocate is, is what we call lawyers today. I don't know how many of you have, have had to hire a lawyer, um, but they are expensive, aren't they? Uh, you know, I've talked to people who've had to hire one, and, and uh, the money they charge, but then they, what do they do? They go to represent you before the judge. And they're going to plead your case that you are innocent. And to have a lawyer do that, sometimes that lawyer will will uh, get you exonerated or you will still be found guilty. But here the Bible says, the scriptures say, that Jesus is an advocate basically, to those who believe in him, those who have trusted in him. He sa- John says, we have an advocate. If you sin, we have an advocate. Now, w- Jesus is called an advocate here, but Jesus also called the Holy Spirit an advocate. And then we're going to get into uh, how this applies to us this morning. Turn to John chapter 14. Let's go over to the Gospel of John 14. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples as he prepares to go to the cross. And he's going to be crucified. He's going to leave them. But he wants to encourage their hearts because they're going to be, have sorrow upon sorrow. But John 14, verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me. Jesus said to them, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper. Some, some translations use the word comforter. He will give you another helper or comforter that he may be with you how long? Forever forever there are different words we can use uh, there for helper he says i will give you helper but this is basically the word advocate this is this word helper translated from the greek uh, just means helper advisor comforter or intercessor Someone who will intercede for you. And so he's basically saying, I'm going to send someone who's going to intercede for you and comfort you, and he will be your advocate, that he may be with you forever, verse 17, that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So he's saying that the, My spirit, the spirit of truth, is going to be that advocate whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This tells me that the Holy Spirit is my advocate, your advocate. The moment I am saved, the moment I am baptized into the Holy Spirit at conversion and I become a child of God, I'm born again. It is then that God gives me the Holy Spirit to indwell me, and I have an advocate. And that Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And then then he goes on there in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But here, basically, Jesus is saying that when I leave, I'm going to send you someone. And when Jesus talks about a helper, or an advocate. He's talking about someone who's exactly like him. So it's 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 Jesus, the spirit of Jesus through the Holy Spirit will indwell us. And so he's saying, I have to leave you physically. But I will be with you because I will send my spirit and he will be your advocate. You know, in the human court system, and I don't know how many of you watch any of the... Those court, court TV shows, I know know they're popular. The only one I can remember watching is Judge Wapner. Anybody remember him? Now there's Judge Judy, and uh, okay, there are, there's a bunch of other ones on there, and they're 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 interesting to watch, fun to watch. But uh, but when you go to a court scene and you watch a court drama, whether it's a movie or television. And you see the defendant is sitting there. He's been charged with a crime. Okay. And so next to him, sitting next to him is this lawyer, this advocate. And when it is time, it's not the defendant unless he's defending himself. He doesn't get up and, and speak to the jury or speak to the judge. But it is the lawyer who stands up and does all the talking and basically tries to convince the judge that this man, or this woman is innocent. And here's here's the evidence of it. And so I want you to have that picture in mind as we take a look at what does he mean that Jesus is our advocate. Well, we've all violated God's standards. We've, we were born sinners, and because of the sin that sinful nature we're born with, uh, we are guilty on all counts before a holy God. And God will not allow sin into his heaven. Therefore, you and I cannot enter heaven with any kind of sin at all. So, therefore, the moment we enter this world, we are alienated from God. We are God's enemy. And we needed somebody to step in to say, I will be a lawyer on the behalf of this sinner. And God, the judge, in his mercy and love and grace, said, I am going to provide a lawyer for the world. I'm going to provide an advocate for all the sinners of the world so that if they come through him, they can come to me for he will represent them and make a way. Jesus then became our advocate Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7 now. Let's go over to Hebrews 7. And the writer of Hebrews spends a lot of his time trying to explain how Jesus is our advocate. How Jesus can stand before his father and represent us. But 7.25, look at verse 25, 7.25. Look at what he says. Hence also, he is able to save forever. And there's that word forever again. Keep that in your mind and heart. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Who's him? Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. You catch that there? So he is able to save. Jesus is able to save those who come to him forever, who draw near to God through Christ, because Jesus is our advocate forever. There He, he puts it in, the, in this way. He always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession for them. Jesus basically, through his death on the cross, as he... He became the sacrifice for our sins. He had the right to represent us because he took our sin upon himself. He was nailed for our transgressions. And so because he paid the price, God then would accept that that payment for our sin. And we would then have an advocate before the Father who is interceding for us. Notice it says... Always lives. Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. What what does he mean by this? That he's still interceding for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Right now. When he ascended, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And you and I have been saved through the blood of Christ. But Jesus Christ... Uh, be, was, was accepted by his father as the, the only one that could be the advocate for sinners you and I so that when I sin and what this is what John is trying to say that when I do sin here I know something even if I, I forget to confess that sin or I, I, I do sin again And I really don't deal with it with the father. Jesus turns to the father and says, father, I died for that one. I gave my life and there's my blood to prove it. And they have been washed by my blood and I took, I became their sacrifice. So father, I intercede for them. Would you forgive them? We're guilty, but Jesus is constantly at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me, when you've when you've fallen short, and you and I have disobeyed God's word, or we have we have done something that that we we feel that well God can't forgive me. How can God forgive what I've just done? You know, as a believer, have you ever committed a sin and you go, I can't believe I did that and and then you feel like, well, I, I don't think that, that God accepts me anymore. Um, I don't know if I'll even get to heaven. And then the thoughts come in. Satan will come and attack our minds. And he'll come to us and try and get you to feel so guilty to the point where you feel that God has forsaken you because of your sin. And so, therefore, well, maybe I won't get to heaven maybe i just i I, through what i did i lost my salvation john is trying to make it clear here that that the uh that the this plan of salvation was a permanent plan that jesus becoming our advocate is forever and ever and therefore i am secure in Christ before God, a holy God, even though I still sin in this life. You know, we have a, a number of stories in the, in the scriptures that kind of sh- show what, what, it, what it's like for someone else to, to be an advocate for another. And I want to quickly turn to 1 Samuel 25. Let's go to 1 Samuel 25 together. Verse 21. <clears throat> and here, here, here's the story of David and Abigail and Nabal. And many of you remember this story. Nabal was, was a scoundrel. There are all kinds of names for him in this chapter. But he he basically was envious of David. He hated David. He he would stab him in the back and, and and basically say all kinds of things against David, because he was basically of the house of Saul. He he kind of just basically would. Uh, he, and when David's men David's men were protecting Nabal's sheep while David was out there, uh, you know, in, in the wilderness, uh, you know, David would help. Nabal's shepherds but Nabal just uh, when David's men came for food and things and they needed something to eat he, he just uh, get get away from here and then he would just rip David to shreds so David heard about this and David said well no one's going to talk about me like that and treat my men like that so David took his men and was head we heading to Nabal's house to cut him to pieces to kill him Say, he's not going to get away with this. But Nabal's wife, named Abigail, she knew what kind of miserable husband she had. She knew that she was living with an, you know, this horrible man, and yet she didn't want to see David kill him. And even though he may have deserved it. So she, Abigail, this woman, goes to intercede for her husband, becomes an advocate. Look with me at verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, speaking of Nabal, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more so also if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. Well, Abigail heard about this in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be what? The blame. Let me be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you. And listen to the words of your maidservant. Verse 25. Please do not let my Lord pay attention. Speaking when she uses the word my Lord, that's a small L, which is speaking of David. It's an honorable name for who David was as king please do not let my lord pay attention to this worthless man now she's talking about her husband calls him a fool don't pay attention to this this guy married you know he's a fool i know it he's a worthless man i know it with this worthless man nabal for as his name is she says so he is nabal is his name and folly is his game Well, game's not in there, but I just threw that in there. But (laughs) Nabal is his name, and Folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men that you sent. So she brought gifts. So let's jump to verse 28. Verse 28. Please forgive. Now she says, please forgive the transgression of your who? Maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make... For my Lord, speaking of David, an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you all your days. What is she doing? Abigail came to David as, a, his, as Nabal's lawyer and advocate and said, David, listen, would you please let my worthless husband live? I'm to blame. I'll take his blame. You know, punish me if you have to, but spare him. What did she just do? She gave us a picture of who Jesus is because she took the blame. She had nothing to do with this. She didn't commit any crime against David, but she was willing to accept the blame on behalf of her husband so that he might live. What love what compassion and that's exactly what jesus did for you and for me he came jesus came and through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead he became our great high priest so that (coughs) he could enter into the holy of holies in heaven with his precious blood that was shed on calvary and basically he would go to his father and say i have I have taken their sin. Just like Abigail said, blame me. And that's exactly what happened. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross in place of you, in place of me. Because that's how much God loves us. And that's how much Jesus loved us and was willing to go to the cross on your behalf. So he was not just a lawyer or an advocate, but he... He, had, he went to, uh, to God, to the cross, and then back to God the Father for sinners like you and I. Not for friends, not for someone who, who was close to God, but he, he, he died for the enemies of God. Turn back with me now quickly in closing to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Then we go on here. Look at verse 2, and he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So now John says, Jesus is not only an advocate, but he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Some of you may have in your translation, for, instead of the word propitiation, you have the phrase atoning sacrifice. Now, I don't know how many of you use the word propitiation in your daily vocabulary. I know I don't. And some of you kids are going, what is propitiation? Have you ever heard that name before, Lucas? That, that word? No. Propitiation. Well, this is, this is the word, English word that was translated here, um, which means, in the Greek, this means satisfaction or appeasement, which basically is saying that Jesus became the appeasing sacrifice in your place and mine before the Father, a Holy God so that you would not have to go to hell, that your sins could be forgiven. Because Jesus became the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And he laid himself on that altar, the cross, and therefore he shed his blood for you and I. And he became our propitiation, which mean, it means a satisfactory sacrifice to God the Father. God accepted Jesus as as payment for the sins of all mankind. And we don't have time to turn to it in Hebrews but take go, go on your own and basically uh, study it for yourself uh, concerning the uh, this uh, this propitiation and where we first find it in the Old Testament. The Old Testament practice for the Day of Atonement. You remember the day, reading of the Day of Atonement. It was, it's found in Leviticus. And uh, we read there in Leviticus 15, 16. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil in the tabernacle, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of of the children of Israel. So basically, once a year, God required blood for the sins of the the Israelites, the Jews. He required that in order for me to, uh, to look away and not judge them for their sin, there had to be some kind of sacrifice. And so what they did, they brought... They would bring two goats forward. Two goats would be brought to the high priest. And then one goat would be killed on an altar. And that blood would then be taken. Some of that blood would be taken by the, holy, the high priest into the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go, where God's glory dwelt, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was A lid. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was what? The Ten Commandments, the, word, the, the law of God. But that mercy seat is where God said, I want you to sprinkle the blood of that goat. And as you sprinkle it there, I am, I am going to accept that as a, as, a, as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. So that's what the, holy, uh, the priest did. He would go into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and then he would go back to the second goat they had. And he went to the second goat, and the priest would place his hands on that other goat. Now, and he was called the scapegoat. Now you wonder where we got the name scapegoat from. But he was considered the scapegoat. The priest placed his hand, both hands on the goat. He confessed the sins of the people. And then he took the goat and let it out into the wilderness and released it. And by letting the goat go out in the wilderness, it was symbolic. It represented the sins of the people being taken away, it, the, being removed. And so basically this is where we get the idea of propitiation that that goat became the propitiation for the sins of the people god accepted that as payment for their sin well jesus christ then became that goat for us that lamb the one that would be laid on an altar and his blood was accepted by god for you and me as payment as a propitiation acceptable sacrifice to the lord you remember when uh in in the upper room when jesus was with his disciples during the last supper and he was he sat down with them and we observe this when we partake of the lord's table communion but what did jesus say when he held the cup he first broke the bread said this is my body broken for you then he took the cup right and what did he say about the cup? This cup, if you remember, this cup is the new covenant in my what? Blood. Drink it as often as you would in remembrance of me. Jesus was basically saying this cup is representative of the new covenant. The old covenant was with the what the high priest had to do for the, the Jews that God required for sin. But now Jesus... Was the the ultimate sacrifice the new covenant where God accepted His Son's death and blood as payment for everyone's sins? But of course, it's only applied to those who accept Jesus as their Savior. Notice at verse two, the end of verse two. He's not only the propitiation for our sins. Speaking of the believer, he's writing, believers. He's writing to. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Jesus died for everybody, but that sin is only that that uh, blood is only applied to to the the sinner who comes by faith and says, "Lord Jesus, I can't save myself. I know I'm I'm a sinner headed for hell. Would you come and save me?" and That person who places their faith and trust in Jesus is forgiven, washed in the blood of Jesus. And then at that moment, they have an advocate, Jesus Christ, before the Father, who will always be there until we get to heaven. He will say, my blood paid for that, uh, your child's sin. We're still children of God. Nothing can change that. But how wonderful it is to know that we have an advocate and Jesus is the perfect advocate because he became the propitiation for our sins the acceptable sacrifice peter miller was a baptist preacher during the american revolution and he lived here in effort pennsylvania and he was actually a friend of george washington and while peter miller was was preaching in his church in effort there lived a man named michael whitman and he couldn't stand, you know, he, he was a, a wicked man. He couldn't stand Peter Miller and his preaching. And so he would always make fun of him in the streets and, and, and laugh and mock at, at Peter Miller and say bad things about him, you know, and, and just tore him to shreds. He became such an enemy of, to Peter Miller. He was so evil-minded, he humi- humiliated Peter Miller constantly. Well, one day Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and he was sentenced to die. So he was taken to Philadelphia and there he was going to be hung. But this is the incredible part. Peter Miller, when he heard of this, that this guy who treated him this way is going to be hung for his crime. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot from Ephrata to Philadelphia to plead for the life of this traitor. Peter went in to see George Washington, who was there, went into his, his room and asked that George Washington spare the life of, of, of this man, Michael. George Washington said to Peter, he said, No, Peter. I cannot grant you the life of your friend. (laughs) I can't do it. My friend, exclaimed Peter Miller. Why, he's my worst enemy, my most bitter enemy. George Washington was taken back and just aghast at this. He goes, what? Cried Washington. You walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? Well, then that puts the matter in different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did. And Michael Whitman went back to Ephrata with Peter Miller, back home to Ephrata, and no longer was he an enemy but a friend. Peter Miller became the advocate of his worst enemy, that he might spare his life. Jesus did that for you and me, that you and I are enemies of God. That there's no reason for Jesus to die for us. To become our advocate. But because he loves you. That he did it for you. That, and he will always intercede for you. What a wonderful savior we have. Would you remember that this week? And hold on to that wonderful promise. And thank the Lord. That you have an advocate before the father. Representing you. And he paid the price that was satisfied before God. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now. Dear friend, perhaps you have been dealing with sin in your life as a believer and you've struggled with sin and you're at a place maybe where you feel God can't forgive you. But there's no way that, how can he still accept me? And you feel so worthless before God. Dear friend, would you right now remember that Jesus is your advocate? And right in every time you sinned, Jesus interceded for you. And his blood was shown to the father. And the father said, I forgive him. Oh, we might have to pay a price for our sin on earth. Like a child is disciplined, God will discipline us if we continue to sin as a loving father would. But when when we speak of eternity, you are God's child forever and ever, and nothing can change that. Would you take that to heart, dear Christian, right now? And thank God for forgiving your sins and giving you an advocate forever, for all of eternity. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to accept the Savior right now. Just open your heart to him. Perhaps you, you, you've been struggling uh, in your life to, to really believe and accept Jesus as the Son of God. The one who paid the price for you. But now you realize he did you've come to understand how, what a sinner you are and you need to be saved and you will want to accept Jesus' sacrifice for you and receive him as your own personal savior. Would you pray with me now? Just pray this simple prayer quietly in your heart. And you're giving, by, by praying this prayer or a prayer like it, you are confessing to Jesus that you are accepting him to save you. Just say something like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads still bowed and eyes closed, if you gave your heart to Jesus this morning, you are now born again. You are part of God's family. You now have an advocate. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And you are, have been given the free gift of eternal life as he has forgiven your sins. Welcome to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for decisions made. And Father, may we rejoice in the wonderful truth that we have an advocate before you who is sitting at your right hand. Lord, may we seek to live a life that's pleasing to you, that we might not sin. But we know, Lord, that when that time comes and we, we do fall, Lord, we know that we have that advocate who represents us before you. Thank you for that forgiveness you give us and for the grace for all of eternity. We ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.